1: Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept
0: PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go.
1: In this episode of Beyond the Bump, we have a lot of raw and honest discussions about mental health. If you find any of these themes triggering, please contact Lifeline, Panda, Beyond Blue or the Gidget Foundation, and we have linked their contact details in our show notes.
0: Hi Eliza, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to chat with us today about a very important topic, perinatal mental health. We would love for you to tell us a little bit about who you are and why you decided to get yourself involved in this area.
2: Sure. So it's amazing to be on the podcast. I'm a huge fan. So um, I'm Eliza. I'm a midwife from Sydney and I currently live in Hong Kong and I'm also a midwife here. And when I started midwifery, I think I thought it was, I guess, a lot more kind of, I really idolized the process a lot. Um, and when I got into midwifery as a new graduate midwife, my eyes were really open to just how many women, actu- women and their partners suffered from mental health conditions and a lot of Us as health professionals didn't really have the knowledge, uh, the expertise, or even know what to say to get get women help um, that needed help. And often we are the first point of contact as midwives. So I went on to study uh, two years ago now a degree in perinatal mental health to learn more about how I could help my patients and how I could help the broader community. I also have a platform called Bump and Bub, which is an educational platform that I started a couple of years ago for parents to get evidence based information. to come for support um, and general advice about pregnancy in the postpartum period because I'm a big believer, like most health professionals, that education is everything. And if you can educate yourself antenatally on postpartum um, ramifications or things that can happen, I think we can be much better prepared and more proactive in the process. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
1: And what are common perinatal mental health issues, I guess, or even explain what does perinatal mean? A lot of people have heard of postnatal but they don't necessarily know what perinatal means?
2: Yeah, so perinatal um, essentially means encompassing the pregnancy and the postpartum period. So if someone is, uh, so a lot of people define the postpartum period as six weeks after you have a baby, Uh, but mental health in, in a lot of countries classifies as the first 12 months. So if we're talking about a perinatal mental health condition, it's normally pregnancy and then including the first year after birth, because it is quite a specific time in a woman's life and so there's very specific health uh, mental health conditions that can come from that exact period so things like postpartum psychosis doesn't appear anywhere else it's only after having a baby so specialists in that area really focus on the pregnancy and then that first 12 months after and there is a fair few postnatal and perinatal mental health conditions we hear, as you just mentioned we know a lot about postnatal depression it's something that I think is being talked about a lot more in the media um, and a lot of mums know a lot more about it but there are a lot of other other mental health conditions like anxiety in pregnancy like depression in pregnancy talking about after after birth things like ptsd from a traumatic birth experience or just having birth trauma feeling triggered by things and what what does that fit into if it doesn't fit into that guidelines of postnatal depression a lot of women will kind of put it aside you know they don't fit into that exact criteria so if they haven't heard about all of these other things like ptsd or ocd issues or psychosis Mm. after a birth
0: yeah i think it's a very important topic to discuss because i think that as mothers and a lot of women that become mothers have this sense that you know oh you don't know what to feel but you should expect to feel a little bit hormonal and upset and angry and oh no that that might not be the right thing but I'm not going to tell anyone because that'll make me a bad mum and you know there is so many different avenues of mental health that we don't yet understand ourselves so I I think that it's a really good thing even for myself I've actually been through postnatal depression and I have continuous anxiety, but I think it's really important to understand, you know, the, all the different symptoms of mental health. So I guess the first one, do you have any tips for enjoying a pregnancy after previous miscarriage or miscarriages?
2: So it is a really, really hard area and um, obviously women are often anxious coming into pregnancy regardless if they've had a miscarriage before and so when whenever I'm talking to a woman and we do what's called a booking in visit as a midwife, so the first time we meet a woman as she comes into hospital, we kind of do a checklist and we kind of go through everything and we really find out what it is that, you know, if, if there are any previous traumas or anything like that, uh, I think it's really, really important because we do know that women who have had a history of either mental health conditions associated with something like a of a miscarriage are at risk then for further postnatal or perinatal mental health conditions. So a lot of women, of course, naturally are going to worry if they've had a previous miscarriage, and it's so common with one in four to one in five women in Australia. Um, who will suffer a miscarriage. So it's very, very common and I see it very frequently. And um, I work, so from a midwifery perspective, we will often get a social worker involved from the very beginning. I think it's very important that you have established support through your pregnancy if you do feel anxious and um, if you do have mental health concerns, if your anxiety is really, really bad. I think it's important to have that constant support from the very beginning through your pregnancy and afterwards. We know that shows um. We know that shows through research that w- women feel better supported and therefore have better outcomes. I think if you are feeling really worried, I think talking to someone is always the first step. So seeing a psychologist who specialises in this area is really important. Taking it day by day, being really mindful if you can do a meditation or a mindfulness practice each day. Know that I mean the statistics. Know that the statistics are there, and one in five women will have a miscarriage. So whether or not that hopefully that brings some kind of ease a little bit. If you have had a miscarriage, that can bring some ease to some women. It could make women more anxious. I think it's very different for every woman, but I do think that having the support is the absolute core mm. of almost everything in the perinatal period and having someone to turn to and say, okay, I'm I'm, I'm not coping or I'm really, really worried. And also speaking to your midwife. So um, I've had patients who have have been super anxious and I've said to them, come back and get, you know, we, we can listen to your baby's heart rate whenever you need. It's, you know, if, that, if that's going to bring you ease, come in come and see us and talk to me talk to me about it because I'd rather you come in and see me than you know have these thoughts festering around your mind for weeks and weeks on end before you hear your baby's heart rate again so yeah.
1: I think that I actually suffered antenatal depression when I was pregnant with Goldie and it really took me by surprise because I don't feel like I've ever had periods of depression before in my life. And I was stoked to be pregnant and I was nowhere near as sick as I was with Poppy. So I was so confused. How common is it to have depression or periods of depression while you are pregnant?
2: Not sure of the exact statistics around it, but it is freak it is very common. So mm. postnatally, it's one up to up to one to two in ten women. And I know a lot of women, I think it's also very underreported in pregnancy. Totally. I think it's a, a a huge, hugely underreported number because when a woman does suffer postnatally, I'll often chat to them about did you feel, you know, sad and lonely and isolated during pregnancy? And the answer is often yes, but I think there is a lot of stigma around antenatal Mm. mental health issues. The fact that, you know, you've got this healthy baby, you're healthy, what else could possibly matter, which obviously isn't the case. And I don't believe that to be true, but I think that is a barrier to getting help a lot of the time. And yeah, just knowing that you absolutely can suffer any kind of mental health issue in your pregnancy. It doesn't make you a bad mother. It doesn't mean that you're not going to connect with your baby. It doesn't mean any of those things, but if you can understand and educate yourself that that is possible and these are symptoms, getting help in pregnancy can changed the entire postpartum and, and parenting experience.
1: Yeah I do agree because I fe- I felt like even if I if it wasn't deliberate I did feel a bit of stigma whenever I would say when I was pregnant. I, I wasn't anxious that I was going to lose the pregnancy or anything but I honestly all of a sudden didn't get any enjoyment out of spending time with my toddler who beforehand like you know had just been the joy of joys and now he's back to being a joy but yeah sometimes 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 not (laughs) but when I was pregnant it was honestly like I was like oh I have to hang out with you today and I felt so anxious and people would go oh are you really worried about what it's going to be like juggling too and it wasn't that at all it had it it was it was it didn't go for that long I think it peaked from like eight weeks to ten weeks or so and I've had a few other friends who have contacted me since who have been pregnant and said oh I remember you saying that you felt crap when did you feel crap and a lot of them had, had agreed that that like 8 to 12 or so week mark they felt that their mental health was all over the place as well and then did it just ease off and then it eased off so was it a ho- like a hormone i don't know like i mean the app i was following said that around the 8 to 10 week mark your hormones are like i don't know you probably might be able to tell us are really peaking at that time and so issues with mood swings mental health are really common around that time is that what you've
2: Yes, no, that t- sounds totally normal and it sound, uh, so many of my patients have said the same things for those 12, first 12 weeks initially that they felt a bit of a brain fog That sleep became a little bit harder that they if they had morning sickness that really didn't add to their joy at all and although they were excited about the pregnancy they did feel a sense of just all-round crapness that is pregnancy for those first especially that first trimester your hormones are surging you're creating you know the basis and the foundations of a a human being so your body is working absolutely overtime, and it doesn't leave much energy for you and it also a baby will also take your um, nutrients if, if you don't have adequate nutrient stores, things like iron and stuff like that that can make you feel quite unwell if you have low iron and, and you get, do you get pregnant and your baby will zap you dry of that. Um, so things like that is really important as well. But remembering that if it does continue and if there is an overwhelming sense of sadness or loneliness and hopelessness, it's definitely not normal and we don't want to normalise that and is definitely worth seeking help for that. And,
0: and how many weeks or, you know, the amount of period of time would you class it being not normal?
2: So, different health professionals will say different things, and different hospitals will say different things. I would generally say that if you're having any scary thoughts, if you're having any thoughts about harming yourself or anything like that it's straight away, if you're feeling a general feeling of fogginess and just sadness, I would probably wait a week or so. I would definitely talk to your partner and I would be talking to friends and I would be opening up if possible. But if those feelings escalate or at any time you feel like you're just not coping, I would seek professional help. There's not kind of a definite timeline on that.
1: Mm -hmm. Any tips for looking after your mental health when you are pregnant?
2: So I always talk about this on my platform on Bump and Bub. And I say that you know, the best form, and I'm sure you guys can both vouch for that, is that the best form of support that you can have is the people around you. So if you are planning to get pregnant or if you are in the early stages of pregnancy, meeting other mums, going to mums groups, if you can, going to prenatal yoga, joining Facebook groups, I think having other mums who are going through something similar to you is so, so imperative in that process and that there's, you know, a postpartum, there's 3 a.m. feeds if you know someone else and, you know, three doors down is going through the same thing and you know that you know, you're going to get through this, I think that's really important important. Mm. I also think that antenatal education for both you and your partner is super, super important for mental health, because if you do suffer quite badly with a mental health condition or your partner does, I think it's really important that one of you or both of you can be on the lookout almost for each other. So I know a lot of women who have come in and said, I didn't recognize it in myself. I didn't realize how bad things had gotten or how um, out of control i felt until my partner stepped in and said you know things you're behaving so out of character things aren't normal you're not bonding with my baby but at the time I couldn't see that personally so i think education around these topics in the pregnancy period is really really important um in terms of kind of self-care definitely doing things for yourself in that time if you can things like, you know things like yoga things like exactly like I said joining mums group making friends yeah, who are also going through that process obviously having a great healthcare provider is, is really important so that you look forward to appointments and it's exciting and it's joyous and it's something that you that you feel like you bond with your baby better after each experience yeah
1: and I think cutting yourself some slack I think that was what one of oh, my worst things was was I just expected that when I was pregnant, I was going to be able to get everything done that I could before. And then in hindsight, I look back and I was like, you felt so crap. Why did you think Mm -hmm. that like the success of your day was based off your productivity when really if someone had to let you, you could have slept for like 16 hours a day. (laughs) Totally,
2: absolutely. Being kinder to yourself. I think in all stages of motherhood that's so relevant. Absolutely.
1: And I also think that it stems
0: not just from pregnancy but, after obviously after you have a, a child but then you know throughout the whole motherhood and parenthood journey to be aware of all those signs and have that community and support around you and have that you know the, the the doctors and everyone always supporting and always there so if you you do fall off the wagon I guess in a sense that you've got
1: a security blanket or you've got a really good support network
2: definitely yeah know where you can turn when you need to if you need to
1: and I guess the whole pregnancy you're the patient and the person being looked after and then as soon as the baby's born you have like one six-week checkup and then it's like oh we'll do checkups on your baby but no one's really officially checking up on you so it's yeah it's really really important to have that support system around
0: all right well let's move on to the postpartum period are there any tips to avoid feeling like you were drowning in those first few weeks
2: so I think it does all come back to support, like I said, and like you guys just said as well. It's it is the system at the moment isn't there to support mothers. It really isn't. So in pregnancy, we have so many appointments: ultrasound, blood tests, midwives, obstetricians, and then afterwards we have one appointment at six weeks, like you just said, which which is crazy and it's and it's not right. And I think that's why so so many women do fall through the cracks. So I think until we have a better system in place, we do need to. S- prepare as much as we can for the postpartum period knowing that you know you have the support of people around you I think is really important Um, and I think a lot of first-time mums do find it harder than they probably think it's going to be or first-time parents rather I think everyone talks about the sleep and the exhaustion and the breastfeeding and stuff but there's so much focus on the birth and there's so much focus on the labor and how on earth am I going to get through the birth and the labor which which in reality is is probably no more than a twenty-four hour period of your life, totally. um, and then you take home this this little baby after you know two two or three days in the hospital, and you're by yourself with your partner. So, I th- I personally would love to shift that that mentality of the birth, the birth, the birth to, of course, having informed choices and knowing that, that your birth is so so important, but moving that. Uh, so much of that focus to the postpartum period and having a plan for breastfeeding, having a plan to say How am I going to settle my baby? You know, could my partner and I perhaps do it in shifts for those first few weeks? Could he or she take the baby for three or four hours while I get some sleep? And, you know, having that kind of plan and not going in blind, I think is so important, especially for those
0: first few weeks. I think in Amsterdam they have a system, a midwife system, where you once you are released from hospital a... Released. (laughs) Released, because it's prison... No, um, you know, the midwife comes and stays at your house for a week or so and literally does whatever they can to help you get through that first week. And when I heard that, I, I actually cried because when I came home to my other two children when I had my third daughter, I it, it's exactly what we were just saying. You have just given birth and you have to then cook meals you have to people just especially if you have a natural birth people just expect that you can do everything like I can do school drop-off I can do this oh mom can you you know make me this snack because I'm hungry and I really was so out of my depth that I I guess because I wasn't aware of the mental state and and how I could cope in this new situation I became I I just became so confused and the fogginess started to come in and as much as my parents were there for a few days they actually had to go home to Melbourne so then I was left completely alone and I was absolutely terrified because I I just I couldn't I couldn't get it together and because I couldn't get it together. It then just kept on spiraling, and I just felt like I just felt like I was digging myself a hole that I couldn't get out out of, and I I just didn't know what to do, and I didn't understand that I was going down this postnatal depression or anxiety journey because I haven't spoken about it before and we we haven't really I mean this is one of the main reasons I wanted to start the podcast so we can have these conversations addressed because I just feel like there's not enough spaces of well there's not enough space that people are talking about these mm. things
2: no, absolutely. Totally. And I just wanted to say two things about what you just mentioned there and in Hong Kong and in China and a lot of Asia, actually, it's very normal. It's called a confinement period. So after you give birth, you have 40 days at home where you don't do anything at all. Wow. Your mother and your mother-in-law come and they feed you all of their traditional food that helps your milk come in and helps you recover postnatally. And for oh. them, it's so normal here. It's just so normal. Whereas in Australia, it's so normalized that one week after birth, you know, you're walking along the promenade at the beach and you're posting on social media totally. and it's just like, oh my God, let your stitches heal. You know, it's just, it's
1: just I yeah, don't know. It's, it's crazy. I agree that it should be an option, but personally for me, like I was really lucky to have two great vaginal births and I and, and I had mm. good support at home. But to me, yeah. staying inside with someone waiting on me for 40 days would that would actually yeah. be really bad for my detrimental. Mental health. So I made sure that like after having Goldie like I had a really fast labour didn't need any stitches so I made sure that like when I then did post on social media that I said if you if you have had a traumatic birth or even if you haven't even if you had had an easy birth like don't compare yourself to me that I can go out for a walk however many days after but this is what I need for my mental health so I think it is just finding whatever works for you and like yeah some people it, you're having 40 days where someone else does all that stuff fabulous and for other people mm. like I yeah. just needed to get out and about. But
0: that's almost like a reward yeah. after giving birth having people there for a month or four weeks or what have you and knowing that you can have a nap and regain because I feel like after you've just did the biggest marathon of your life giving birth you never give you never you're never getting that sleep back so. So to have your mother-in-law or, you know, the support there in your home where you can say, I fed my baby now, would you be able to give her or him cuddles and I'm going to have a nap and, you know, get some sleep. Wake me up when it needs to
1: be fed Yeah, and then
0: I'm going to actually have a shower and I know that someone's there that's going to be able to, tend to the other children and tend to the baby so I'm not going to stress that I have to run out of the shower to make sure that everyone's okay I I just I really really commend that whole process and I I would have Mm. loved for that to happen here yeah
2: no I agree and And, yeah, I think that's totally true. 40 days inside, for me personally, would also send me mad. But I also think that the kind of the culture here is that a woman has just done something so phenomenal Mm -hmm. and that she also needs to recover and she needs the time to become a mother just because she's given birth straight away. You know, she doesn't become um, the the all-knowing mother straight away. She needs time to learn and and kind of settle into that new role as well. And I think that's the cultural shift that we don't really have in Australia. Mm, but yeah, there's there's beauty in both. There's
1: definitely beauty in both. So oh, but any stage of my life, if anyone wants to come do the cooking, cleaning, <laughs> all of that, drop offs <laughs> for forty days, I'll take that at any time. But what you said yeah. then um, <laughs> feeds in well to our next question. Someone asked, "How do you deal with not having an instant connection to your newborn?"
2: Mm. I think a lot of women who have traumatic births tend to kind of um, separate themselves from their birthing experience, which ultimately separates them from their baby. That's what I've personally found in my experience as a midwife. Um, it also ties back into women who have had perinatal anxiety or depression in the pregnancy and they haven't felt like they've been able to bond with their baby during pregnancy obviously a lot of women will feel quite connected to their baby while it's growing while they when they feel movements things like that again that's something that I always ask about at appointments during pregnancy you know do you feel like you are bonding with your baby are you feeling excited about you know the prospect of your baby coming what have you done to nest and prepare I think those kind of questions give you Generally, if you're being asked those questions, generally help the woman to reflect on how she is feeling and also give the midwife a chance to potentially foresee what may happen postnatally if the mum isn't bonding with her baby or isn't feeling much excitement. If it does come kind of out of the blue, you can... I would like to say I I would be able to see it in the the first few days after birth. I think that it may be missed, of course, but as a midwife, I I do see women who aren't bonding with their babies, and it is quite obvious in those first few days. But, again, in those first few days, if you've had a traumatic birth and, you know, you've lost two liters of blood and you're you're not able to breastfeed and there's all of these things happening, I think it's a very normal human response and it's not even just down to a mother, it's survival. I think when it becomes a a problem is when, you know, after those – you know, first few days or first first couple of weeks. If you aren't feeling a bond, bond and you're almost feeling resentment towards your baby, I think it is something that you do need help for and a lot of the time it will be the startings of post depression or anxiety or things like that. And there is, I think, the most important things for mums to know is that it doesn't make you a bad mother. There's a lot of mums that feel like that and there is help out there and things 100% can and will get better. The bond that you feel to, you know in your for your baby in those first couple of weeks isn't going to define your entire relationship.
0: It's really yeah, interesting. It's really interesting that you say that because <clears throat> I actually don't even think that it was related but now that you've mentioned it perhaps it was. When I gave birth to Yumi, I had to have a blood transfusion because I kept on fainting after birth and I couldn't lift my head mm. off the pillow. And when she when I I couldn't hold her, obviously, in that time, mm. um, the midwives had to take her away and I immediately had this sense of guilt because with my last two children I never had to have help. Like I never needed anyone to help me in the hospital. And for me that's just how I am. That is so like help is now I'm working out is absolutely everything. So if, you know, people are offering yeah. to help, you take that. But for me at that time I had in my mind you are already failing as a mother and then after that and I came home, it took three months for me to work out that every time I looked at Yumi, I thought, oh, I've actually got to work out how to like." I've got to make more time with you. I've got to play with you. I'm not spending enough time and all this guilt started rolling in with, you know, me not doing enough for her. So it's it's interesting. I wonder if that that actually stemmed from Bit the trauma. Mode. The yeah, the trauma yeah. from that birth. Yeah.
2: And I mean even if we think of it just at like a scientific point of view when you know when you give birth if you give birth and everything you're feeling calm you're feeling safe Mm. you're feeling like everything's okay your body is flooded with oxytocin so Mm. you can't help but to fall in love with your baby if you're bleeding your body goes into shock your your body's full of cortisol full of adrenaline your body's just working to survive that oxytocin gets pushed out because that's not survival Mm. mode you know so it's yeah I think that's that's totally relevant, and, and I found that with so many women, especially women who lose a lot of blood, who go into shock and then their bodies don't produce enough milk a lot of Yeah, my milk didn't come in for days. Yeah, so it, it's crazy how much it all kind of ties into, mm,
0: it's incredible. ties into
2: everything. So even if a birth does, you know, it kind of goes off course a little bit or, you know, something happens... It, Even not having your baby skin to skin, for example, so that quiet time that we call that the golden hour after birth. So it's obviously the most idealistic um, time frame, but in that first hour after birth, we've always encouraged mums to have skin to skin with their babies if the mum and the baby are well. Have that bonding time. Your, Your baby being placed on your chest does insane things for your body. It falls, makes you fall in love with them, it releases all the right hormones, it helps your uterus clamp down, which you know, helps blood, uh, helps, it helps you stop bleeding. There's just a whole circuit of things that happen in that 60 minutes or that two hours. And if you don't have that period of time, it can definitely, you know, it could definitely impact um, a whole host of things. So I think mums definitely need to be more, more kind on themselves because mm. it's not as straightforward as we think it's not as straightforward as, Oh, you've got a healthy baby. So what's the problem? And I hate that saying, I say it all the time, you know, all that matters at the end of the day is a healthy mum and a healthy baby because health is the mind and the body. It's not just, The body um Mm. so yeah it all all definitely plays full circle into each other
1: i feel like i felt that way it wasn't so much postpartum with poppy but when i was first pregnant with her having hyperemesis i felt like i was in survival mode and at the start it was like i was so sick that i would almost even forget that that it was a baby like it was mm, this weird yeah. thing where it kind of just was my pregnancy, and it wasn't. Yeah, uh, yeah it, and on the days that I was so sick, it was just like I, I honestly would forget that even at the end of it there would be a baby because you are you're in that survival thick of it mode. Hundred
2: percent. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Aren't you excited for a baby? No, I'm excited to just <laughs> not have my head in the bucket in the syringe <laughs> <switch> pipe. <laughs>
0: Can you just give us a little bit of info on baby blues? The I don't know if it's a three-day or what the deal is, but it definitely does happen. And can you just explain to us why it happens?
2: Sure. So baby blues is very common. Up to 80% of women in Australia do report that they feel some kind of baby blues or feeling obviously not necessarily defined as baby blues, but feeling low, feeling overwhelmed and just feeling out of their depth, which of course, especially if you're a first-time mum, you're going to feel like that. You've been handed a little human. You might be in hospital for a couple of days and then, you know, it's all up to you. Your hormones are raging you have just birthed a baby so your your a lot of your hormone levels are dropping um as well as you're making your if you are breastfeeding you're making milk as you're experiencing hormone surges that you've never ever felt in your life you're probably the most tired you've also ever been (laughs) your body is probably compensating as well for some blood loss and things like that so yeah baby blues is very common it normally Hits around day three. Whenever I am ha- working on the postnatal ward, and I have my little list of patients, I'll always go and look at how many hours they are after birth. Yeah. And anyone between like sixty <laughs> and ninety hours.
0: Don't be a to Spend a long
2: time with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we go in and there's always tears. It's like absolute bookwork. There's always tears, and I'm always prepared for it with my with my beautiful three day three day mamas and it's just so normal. It's just this huge storage of hormones. Everyone seems to doubt their ability and. It's something that can definitely be worked through and it does ease in those first few days or that first week.
1: Do you remember yours, Soph? Yeah, I I don't think I got it with Goldie. I got it after having Poppy and mine was day three. It was the same day that my milk came in. So it was this feel, it was feeling anxious and overwhelmed. But then on top of that, like I literally felt like there was the biggest weight on my chest because I went from basically like inverted boobs to like Pammy. like massive tits underneath my chin. Dolly, Parton. And I remember <laughs> day three because it was our first baby. We had heaps of visitors into the hospital, so I figured the day after, you know, we'll have no no baby <laughs> no visitors because we no babies we'll because we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll be recovering. The next day, we'll have just like you know really 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 close friends and the family can come back in and see the baby and then day three like you know still obviously close friends but oh my gosh they were literally all there there was like kids running around the hospital bed and I was just like I gave my mum this look and my eyes just started welling up yeah my chest was so heavy I felt so tired overwhelmed all of a sudden like my vagina just felt like it was just gonna drop out even though I was like lying (laughs) down and I just gave my mum this look and she just goes I think it might be time for everyone to just head home now and like everyone filed out and then the minute they walked out the door I was just like (laughs) no.
0: When I gave birth to Mia uh, I was in the hospital for a few days and I remember just bursting into tears and the midwife was like oh darling are you okay and I'm like my dogs, I'm just, they I'm they're gonna be so upset with me. Like <laughs> I don't know what I've done. And she started laughing and she said, I look, I understand, but your dogs love you. And I'm telling you now that this is a this is the blues. It is normal for you to feel yeah. like this. And when she said it, I just was like <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> just kept going. And then the second child I was felt feeling guilty because of Mia. And then I felt the same and emotional after after Billy with Yumi but you know I feel like you can you definitely can differentiate. Between the three day blues and postnatal depression, I can definitely say yeah. that it's yeah. completely no, different feeling. And,
2: and I like that you just said that about your dogs because I think that it is <laughs> uh, often with the baby blues, it can be triggered by very small things. Like I've had women, you know, I've walked into many rooms and, so, and a woman is crying, and I'm like, "It's okay, it's baby blues." And they're like, "No, you don't understand. I've, you know, I dropped my breakfast on my baby's toe, or something <laughs> super obscure." That's just like, "It's okay, your baby's going <laughs> to forgive you." Like you know, but it is. It's just such a such a feeling of. of being so overwhelmed that, and your hormones are so everywhere that you, you know, it is really easy to be triggered by little things. And the shift between the, the baby blues and the postpartum depression is a really, is a really important one. And it's something that I talk to all my patients about who are experiencing baby blues. And then normally the day after as well, And because of that hormone surge, when your milk comes in that day three to day five, most women will, will experience some kind of baby blues. But after that first week or two, it does tend to ease. Um, and the feelings The feelings are yes, overwhelmed of being overwhelmed, and maybe a bit of sadness. But it's not that postnatal depression feeling of you know hopelessness and loneliness and deep sadness to your core, and not bonding with your baby, not even you know not even wanting to spend time with your baby, not being able to get out of bed, a reduced appetite, being exhausted but not being able to sleep. All of those signs and symptoms that can kind of compound on top of each other as well. Mm. It's really important to know to know that difference.
1: You're nodding a lot. What kind of signs uh,
0: did you all, have? All your signs, all the signs that you just mentioned was pretty much what I went through but not all at once. It sort of really staggered its uh, arrival on me. I I found that, you know, I wasn't sleeping and then I found I just had so much. I think one of the things that we talk about and is so important for us mothers to remember is expectations like I had so many expectations of what I was going to be like as a mother of three Mm. and because I went straight off like in my mind failing like oh great the midwives are already helping me I have to have a blood transfusion I you know I've, I've already started off wrong I had that in my mind and then I came home to two kids and a baby and my my mind couldn't get my, I couldn't get my head around it. So I was like, oh, you failed at that. And then I just had guilt. I was guilt, 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 yeah. guilt. I was not good enough for the two kids there. I wasn't good enough for the baby. I wasn't a good wife. I just kept on beating yeah. myself up about everything. And then I started to feel sick because, you know, I was wondering why I started to feel like this. And then I started to worry about my worrying thoughts. And so then I started yeah. to be completely catastrophic with everything. Everything I thought about, I thought about Mm. the most craziest things, like if I was at a petrol station and I saw rope, I thought, oh, my God, someone could, like, buy that and commit suicide. That was my thought, and everything was so severe that I couldn't calm down, and I would have panic attacks where I couldn't breathe and I would feel like I was about to pass out, and this is all the while of trying to look after a newborn baby and then I'd look at her and cry and think, look at me, I can't even look after myself. Like what am I even doing? And uh, until I was this was explained to me that I had a panic disorder. and I was I was told that I had anxiety and a mixture of depression and I was I, I could understand it a little bit more myself mentally, then I began I, I, I could calm down a little bit and go, all right. This is this this is something that people are understanding. I can understand this myself, and now I can take the right steps to you know go in a, a positive direction. I actually had to take medication. I've always been on medication because I've had um, severe panic and anxiety issues they have been kept at bay for a number of years but the postnatal after the third child well it it broke that and I still to this day am really struggling with my anxiety so it really is a long-term journey but I'm really learning a lot from myself and I am stronger than I ever have been before, even though I'm still battling those mental challenges.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, yeah, amazing of you to share that. I think that alone, that statement will help so many mums to feel like they aren't alone and, and you know, this, these feelings are it's hard to be a midwife sometimes and hard to run bump and bump because I get these incredible messages and these stories and I hear just like what you've told me then and I get Hundreds of those messages, or hundreds of those patients, and everyone feels lonely and isolated, and like no one else is going through it. And I almost just want to screenshot my my DMs, or you know, show everyone my, my my own patient records. I'm like, there's so many women going through this. You're not alone. Mm. Yeah, so I think yeah, it's amazing of you to share that.
1: Yeah, confidentiality has its pros and cons. <laughs> yes doesn't it just yes. did you jay did you feel like the baby blues ever stopped or do you do you feel like your baby blues kind of then merged into yeah. so the baby blues is a completely
0: different feeling baby blues to me was an overwhelming rush of emotions of unnecessary reasons like yeah the dog or yeah. this or that and it was over a you know for me maybe 24 hours like I was
1: just a blubbering mess and then you look back on it and you almost laugh because as soon as it's it's over you're like oh my gosh I can't believe it's almost like when you have your period it's almost like when you
0: have your period you know you get that rush of hormone and be like ah but with the postnatal side of things it it jumped it sort of the blues stopped and sort of went away a little bit and then I had a different it, it was a heavier, darker time. Like yeah. a it's a, it's a really, it's a really dark. Yeah it, it's it's it it's honestly it's like in your chest. It's a really heavy yeah. weight and it hurts.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a very good way of describing it. A lot of women say that like a re- something a really dark, heavy feeling is exactly exactly how so many women describe that from what baby blues felt like to postnatal depression. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. And when does postnatal depression typically hit or mm. begin?
2: Oh, it's so different for everyone. Yeah. Um, as I said, it can be up to the first 12 months, so it's such a, such a huge, huge range. I don't know if there is even statistics on when it hits. I think in the first 12 weeks it's definitely more prominent than later, but it can definitely hit with any time in that first... 12 months. There's, there can be triggers uh, later on, obviously things like sleep regression and exhaustion or life, lifestyle, you know, things that happen within your life that cause a lot of stress. There can be yeah, different different factors. Normally within the 12 weeks I personally see much more common. If it's later on, as a midwife I don't tend to see those mm. women very much They will seek external help.
0: And there's so many normalities of giving birth and postpartum, but how do you differentiate the the normal postpartum issues to postpartum depression? So, you know, for example, we all get so sleep-deprived and I know stressed. that anxiety can stem from stress and sleep deprivation. How do you know what is normal and what is not?
2: I think it comes back to again the education. If you go in uh, to classes and you and you've got a really good midwife, you've got a great OB, um, and you can chat to, if you've got a great support network, and you hear about, you know, like I just mentioned, so postnatal depression, so the big difference between the postpartum period being, you know, quite overwhelming, does that, and and sleep sleep deprivation and things like that, does that feel like an overwhelming heavy weight on your chest all day, every day? Are you struggling to eat? Are you struggling to think positively? Does your partner notice in you that you're very out of character? Is different things happening that you maybe wouldn't have previously done? Are you bonding with your baby? Things like that. I think, again, having that circle of people around you to also watch for those signs and symptoms is super important. And then knowing what's normal and, perhaps what's not normal and as I say to everyone if you feel like perhaps it's it's not normal and you're not coping then you're the best indicator mm. you know you're the best indicator of that we can read as many textbooks as we want as health professionals but ultimately if you can come forward and say I don't feel like I'm coping or can you assess me can you help me here then I think that's that's ultimately the best way and there's some amazing resources now as well places like Panda P-A-N-D-A mm. and Beyond Blue and the Gidget Foundation Beyond the Bump and they have be on the bump. Um, and they have, I was going to say, they have 24 hour hotlines, um, which we you can call if you. Sorry. <laughs> I, didn't know. I don't know if you want to pop your mobile number in there. Or...
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I've got enough of my plate. Um... <laughs>
2: That have, you know, 24-hour hotlines that you can call and you can call anonymously and say, you know, I'm having these, you know, panicky thoughts exactly like you just said, Jay you know, I'm having these thoughts. I drove up to the petrol station and all I could think was, what is this rope, you know, could this rope hurt someone or something like that? And, you know, to chat about someone and for them to say, look, you know, you know, you're a great mum, but what I'm, what I'm hearing is perhaps this is associated with maybe a panic disorder and these are the things that we can do to help you. I think that's really important, just speaking honestly and openly as much as you can and not fearing judgment because mm. especially as midwives or as health professionals, we have heard it all and I would so much rather hear from someone that says, you know, I've it had a few women who have had postnatal psychosis which i can touch on a little bit but the hallucinations and the thoughts that come with that are very very scary and things that you don't want to ever have to think or even hear someone utter the words you know terrible things about harming yourself or harming your baby but as a midwife it, and i can i can very much differentiate you know a mum from her issue and it's you know she, she is not she is not wanting to hurt her baby she is not wanting to hurt herself but these thoughts and this this mental health condition are um, are overwhelming to her and and the guilt that is associated with having those thoughts is such a barrier to seeking help. So just knowing yeah. that you know we will never judge you, and you know the best thing that you can do is voice those thoughts, whether or not to your partner, a close friend, or a health
0: professional. I guess the first step and the biggest step is acceptance, accepting yeah. um, and addressing that you have something going on that doesn't seem normal to you and I think as soon as you can you know see a doctor or like every time I I walk into my doctor and I say I think I've got a hormonal hormonal imbalance they say no Jade you you've got more anxiety that's what we say every time you come in here (laughs) with these issues but then they they commend me and say you know you've already done the best thing because you've already noticed that it's happening and that's the biggest thing that you can do
2: hundred percent. And I mean, there's, you know, you can look at something like di- diabetes, for example, like, you know, so women who have, have gestational diabetes where it's out of control need to take insulin and you need to take insulin to keep your body functioning, right? And keep your baby growing. And it's the same with mental health conditions. If your brain isn't producing enough serotonin or enough of the right chemicals that are balancing out your brain, it, you know, it, it's the same as any other form of medication and it's there and it's there to help you. And, you know, there's such a range of ways that women can get help these days, through medication, through seeing a psychologist and talking, through mindfulness. And there's just so many different mm. things. And I think we just separate the the, the physical and the mental, body, mental health so much these days, but actually, you know, they're all intertwined and our brain is such a complex, complex um, organ that we still don't know that much about and we're still figuring out. And so I'm the first one to say, you know, medication like it might not be your first choice but if it's going to if it's going to help you and dramatically improve your life it is 100% the route to
0: go. Well I must admit that yes I'm on medication and I have been for some time but saying that I still obviously have these hurdles of you know peak in anxiety and the yeah. best thing I've been practising lately is mindfulness and relaxation, yeah. and that should not be underestimated. It is a powerful, powerful thing. Something so simple as having half an hour with yourself to breathe can completely yeah. change the way yeah. you view and the way you feel in that time. It's just incredible.
1: No, I'm going to be a yogi. <laughs>
2: hi <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, it's so, it's so true. It's so true. And this, I guess, a lot of people think of meditation and mindfulness as a bit like woo woo, a bit out there. But I there is deep. actually so much. Yeah, there is so much research, like yep. great literature that we can read that says how much. Uh, mindfulness and meditation help with mental health conditions and in pregnancy yeah. and bonding with your baby and better outcomes for your pregnancy it's I think yeah the, the mind is definitely underestimated we we're, there's so many things that we can
1: do and also I think that often management with medication or management through those means they're like they're separated but gosh they can work hand in hand so well and yeah it's not one or the other like it it, it might be one all the time and the other one comes and goes or you know like yeah I, I don't think that it should be seen as a failure if you do have to go on medication like as, me. ja- as Jade was okay. saying you are just a real success yeah, story absolutely. I'm a real success story
2: <laughs> but you are you
1: absolutely are so it's amazing what's the best way that we can educate our partners and relatives about this
2: I think traditionally parenthood has been, the emphasis has been placed hugely on mothers. Mothers are the ones doing, you know, the mothers are the pregnant. So therefore mothers should be going to the classes and learning how to be parents. And, you know, when the dad looks after the baby, it's babysitting. I think, thank God, we're in Mm -hmm. 2020. It's not, not so similar now, but there is still a lot of the mentality. I'll teach classes and there'll be one dad and, you know, 10 women. I'll be like, where's everyone's partners? You know, (laughs) do we have, you know, I think it's so important for Uh, uh, either your partner or if you're a single mother to have, you know, a partner there. We know from a huge amount of research that having someone supportive through pregnancy and through birth and labour and the postpartum period significantly increases, the, I guess, the positivity around your birth and the outcomes around your birth. So I think, yeah, just taking your partner is is such an integral part of the process and they have to be involved as much as they can. Even if they're not really interested, I think, you know, you're doing this together um, and it's something that, yeah, you should definitely both be involved in. In terms of relatives, I'm sure a lot of us live kind of different lifestyles to maybe that of our relatives. For example, (laughs) I'm plant based and my family thinks I'm mad for it. So I think talking about the expectations that you have of your family, I think that that's really, really fair enough to start in pregnancy and to kind of continue in the postpartum period about what you expect from them or. Yeah, just kind of laying out how you want to parent, and perhaps gently reminding your parents or your in-laws that you are. This is your chance to parent, and they had their time. I know that that can be a bit of a tricky one for new parents, but yeah, I think just opening up conversation, having supportive conversation, and if you can, taking your partner or even your family members to antenatal classes, to midwifery appointments, getting them involved if that's what you want.
0: Mm. Getting back to the the partner, I have been thinking about this a lot lately and I, uh, you know, as much as we are mothers and we're with our children and we are pregnant and we, you know, it's us, us, us. I have to give credit to my husband because I chose to be hands on with the first two children. Like I just chose to be that cook, mm-hmm. that cleaner, that mum that was always doing everything. And I I probably didn't give him enough Well, I didn't give him the chance to really take on those responsibilities because I was so happy to do it. And I'm sure he was so happy to go to work and go surfing. But when we (laughs) did have number three come into our lives, it was actually almost like our third was his first in a way of responsibility, if that makes sense. Like Mm. he's always been there and he's always been a hands on dad. But this was a really big thing for him because I was going through what I was going through. He was also then having to pick up all these pieces that I just couldn't juggle anymore and he had Mm. to do that. So in a way he was trying this new lifestyle and trying this new approach and dad life that was tenfold of what he was used to. So I think we have to pay respect and we have to give credit and make sure that they are you know, that we say we, like Sophie always says we when she talks about, you know, parenting and when we are pregnant. And at the start I was like, bitch, you're pregnant, not him. But I love that because you are. If he is engaged and he is understanding,
1: then you are absolutely a team. And I think accepting help just... It, it can be an amazing fall effect. I think that, you know, in 2020, it is the roles are getting more even if you let them. But I was very keen from the start to parent very equally with my husband. So it meant that, like, when my girls are upset, they're happy to go to either of us. It means he respects how much I do. He can empathise with you know, when I'm feeling stressed, whereas yeah. I feel like it can be really difficult for partners if you don't let them in to then understand what you're going through because they've never had to do it. They've yeah. never had to worry about, oh, have mm. I packed the right things in that bag? Oh, I've got to get this, this and this done in this amount of time while they nap. So I feel like if you let them in, it's not just good at that moment, It's it has this amazing flow-on effect because there's so much more understanding. But also on the flip
0: side of that, you know, say you say, I want to have a day off or I want to do something for myself and then your husband's there left with the children. And it's it's almost not fair on them because, you know, then the children cry for mum. So mm. he can't he doesn't understand how to deal with that. Yeah. And he doesn't understand what they love and all their little bits because mm. he's not there. He's usually at work or he's usually yeah. doing another role. So I think that yeah, if they're incorporating a little bit more of I know everyone has a different life and it's it's hard to do, but I think oh, yeah, I'm, home I'm well. time. I think home time, you know, we can always share bath time and different rituals so there is a balance of yeah, like I'm well dad. aware
1: that, like, you know, people have to work full time and stuff, but I just mean that time yeah. that they are home. Mm. Yeah. Use them. <laughs> yeah. Use them, abuse them. Yeah, abs-
2: absolutely. And I think it even starts, like, for, I think as a midwife, especially, it's really important to empower partners as well. So, you know, in the birth process, rather than, you know, me massage the woman I I would I would show the partner male or female I would show them you know when you put the when you push on this part of your partner's back this is going to really really help their back pain it's going to help their hip pain and Mm. you know how can we what are some supportive things that we could say because I think a lot of the time partners also feel lost when they get in that delivery room or that postpartum period you know they're kind of just scared and I think that's really normal for anyone and so yeah giving those helpful tips you know this is This is how we can change a baby's nappy. This is how we can swaddle the baby. Have Mm. you, you know, after, after a feed, this is how you could burp the baby. So getting, getting partners really involved from the very, from the get go, it also increases their confidence in their abilities. If they know, oh my gosh, this position works for my baby, you know, to put them to sleep. I can do that every day. I can keep doing that. and, And that empowers me. That helps me to bond with my baby. And it gives my wife or my partner a chance to have a break as well. So you know, yeah, I guess, yeah, just really empowering. and.
0: 2020, my husband is a weapon nappy
1: changer. He is a brilliant (laughs) person to put that baby to bed. My husband was the swaddle king, so I was like, okay, she needs me for my tits, but she needs you for the swaddling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love Um, that, yeah. (laughs)
1: Are you likely to experience postnatal depression and anxiety in subsequent babies if you had it with your baby previously?
2: So again, back to research, the research does say that there is an increased likelihood if you have previously experienced it, that you are more likely or more susceptible to experiencing it again. However, um, when you do go on to have subsequent pregnancies, subsequent babies, your midwife or obstetrician will discuss what you previously had experienced and hopefully uh, get you the support in place Mm. very early on. So for an example, if a woman comes in um, and I'm meeting her at 15 weeks and she says uh, her last baby, she had quite severe postnatal depression i'll link her in with a social worker very very early on and she will have that constant support and they will help her to navigate that whole pregnancy and then the postpartum period as well and she'll be in with a psychologist or a psychiatrist if need be there's a lot more support at, around her because i think for the first baby or well, the first time you experience a mental health condition hmm. if you are quiet about it you can fall through the cracks 100 so yeah i guess if you're open and honest with the second pregnancy and you say this is what happened and, and i do want the help and place I think that's really important you're given a card with you know 24-hour number you know that that help is there and and you can also look at okay what happened last time that perhaps caused this or triggered this or what are some things that we could do to help you to for example if it's you know, sleep and its exhaustion will start from the very beginning with, with a mum about being like, okay, you need you know three or four hour chunks of sleep at a time. How are we going to get this? How are we going to figure out a tag team system to to have this happen? You know, for someone who has had a severe postnatal psychosis or something like that, you need sleep. It's not a, it's not a question. You absolutely need sleep. So yeah, putting those putting those foundations in place, I think, is really important. Even though you are more susceptible, you are hopefully better supported the next time
1: round. Hmm. Not that you would, but do you? think if you went again like not I don't want you to live in regret at all about what happened but do you think that you could put things in place to avoid it or do you feel just
0: sitting here listening I'm petrified like, I genuinely, I, I am petrified to be pregnant and I'm petrified to have a baby, yeah. which is really sad. I could cry about yeah. it. But um, but you've
1: also made the decision you yeah, don't and, want any and, more babies. Yeah, so exactly. Okay. But is yeah. that
0: really part of the reason? Yeah, probably. But also it is nice mm. to know that I feel contentment of um, of content sorry I feel content <laughs> knowing that you know we are really happy with three children yeah. but I do feel a little bit sad when I I do get a little bit like I think about pregnancy and I think about birth and I think about you know the newborn stages and anyone listening who is about to give birth I'm so sorry <laughs> but yeah I just think you know there's been, I've I've done some hard hard yards and I'm I'm tired and I'm really just ready to to enjoy the older years with my children yeah. safe to say i'm that's out of you. that baby bubble that's for sure And
1: <laughs> you know i mean 18 months old they're so easy oh they're a they? dream they're a
0: breeze when can you expect it to get better and i think i could Are you answer your own i question? think i could answer my own question the answer is if you stop focusing on when and just understand that you're going through it it will be a much easier process
2: mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that the sooner you seek help, the sooner it subsides. Mm. I think it's a really good point to know. I think women that feel overwhelmed by this is never going to end, what am I going to do? Um, starting with the small small steps and knowing that it will get better because, you know, postpartum depression can only last so long and, or postpartum anything mental health-wise can only last so long and it will ease up. Even if you have bad days, it will get better. And just knowing that the sooner you can get help, the better you can be, whether that's medication or whether that's mindfulness techniques, all of those things, the sooner you can get help on those topics, the better.
1: And I think remembering that recovery is never linear with mental health issues. Never it's linear. not like you just keep getting never. better and better and better. But if you have a bad yeah. day, don't be, don't punish yourself twice. Like don't have a bad day yeah. and then punish yourself for having a bad day. And I've
0: always remembered that if I do fall back into an anxiety pocket, that's what I call it, I that, like that I I have, have tunneled my way through through before so I'll always be able to do it again and mm. that really yeah. makes a very big like a positive mindset for me
2: yeah absolutely and just remembering that you know you are still the perfect mum for your children and your children don't love you any less for it And I think that's that's a really important thing so, I
0: don't know again, they do when I you- yell <laughs> <laughs>
1: Mummy, are you stressed again? (laughs) Yes. Yelling as a mum is not a mental health issue. That's just being a mum. Yes, it is. That's just being frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) Very normal. A little bit about postnatal anxiety. It's pretty normal when you have a newborn to worry about them. You've just been handed another life, another being. How can you tell the difference between normal newborn fears and pushing it too far
2: Mm, I think when those thoughts become kind of all consuming um, and like you were saying Jade they
1: Mm.
2: you know perhaps random thoughts that do seem out of character to you of course you have anxieties as a new mum 100 percent. but if those things are you know consuming your mind and they're quite bizarre thoughts and again vocalizing those thoughts to your partner to your friends to your gp you know is this maybe is this normal to keep having these thoughts am i worrying a lot i originally started my blog because i met a lady in a cafe i just started bumping and barb and i met this lady in the cafe and she asked me what i was doing and i thought i was studying perinatal mental health and she sat down and she told me this if you scroll way way back it's my first ever blog she essentially said the same thing she said i I started having these thoughts and and I thought it was normal anxiety and I would Google and Google and Google and all I could find was postpartum depression but I actually had postpartum OCD with anxiety so she had to do everything you know it came from nothing no mental health issues and then everything had to be done 15 times you know the bottles had to be washed 15 times I had to touch the doorknob 15 times and then I was anxious wait did I clean that doorknob after that and so there's just um just kind of spiraled spiral out of control and I think that Again, back to education, knowing that, you know, yes, some anxiety is normal, you know, am I, doing, am I doing a good job? Is my baby getting enough milk? Is my baby cold? Is my baby warm? But when those thoughts kind of start to warp and become quite out of frequent. character. Or, yeah, really frequent and really consuming your mind, I think that's definitely when you need to speak up and get some help and knowing what is, what is normal is very much key to that process.
0: And would you say anxiety, the feeling of not being in your own body? you know, where you feel like you're outside your body looking, looking over it. It's a very strange feeling, but it yeah. is a part yeah. of anxiety.
2: Yeah, definitely. I've also had anxiety for many, many years. And I think, yeah, I think the same thing. I think it's like such an intense brain fog. A lot of the time that you're like, am I even, what is Real, happening My yeah. right Is this my body? And I think, yeah, mix that with exhaustion and hormones. And it's a right old recipe for, <laughs> for yeah, for personal anxiety. It's super intense. And, and yeah, absolutely
1: and the next one we've kind of touched on already but dealing with sleep deprivation anxiety and i do like what you've said before because i think that i think there is so much pressure on breastfeeding and exclusively breastfeeding and don't pump before 6 weeks or you'll mess up your milk supply like this isn't even from a professional point of view just a personal point of view if you cannot deal with the sleep deprivation then like Get your partner or someone else to do one of those bottles overnight. Your mental health is so much more important than having to pump once a day or giving formula once a day or yeah. whatever it is. It's so much more important. Yeah. I
0: would go to bed it's at so- seven o'clock when my baby went to bed and I would give my husband a bottle of formula and he would have, so when she woke up at, say, 11, then he would be up and put her back down. So I at least got five to six yeah. solid hours of sleep yeah. every now and then to regain my well somewhat sanity because yeah I just it's it's really hard yeah
2: yeah and that I guess that comes back to as well empowering your partner because you know I think a lot of new parents do everything together like everything has to be done together the bath time has to be done together and that's beautiful of course that's beautiful but Mm. realistic expectations about you know if if mum can go and sleep for four hours and, and dad's completely capable and or partner is completely capable that's an amazing thing and um, giving each other that rest time is so 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 important and exactly like you said so about breastfeeding breastfeeding i think women put so much pressure on themselves to breastfeed and not pump before the six weeks mark and there's so many things about that but every woman's journey is so unique and i've worked with many patients where we'll do exactly that so they might pump exactly like you said, Jed, they might pump or formula feed at like that 10 p.m. feed. Mum will go to bed with babe and you get that, you know, solid four or five hours. Mm. And, yeah, I think there's just so many ways around it um, and there's so many different techniques and even even, su- even such simple ones. Like, you know, you'll, you'll do a home visit as a midwife in those first few weeks and mum and dad haven't learned to swaddle yet or they don't know how to settle their baby. So baby's waking up every 10 minutes and has done for a week and they think that that's, you know, that – that's normal or no one's no one's showed them another technique. So just knowing that there is always different things to try as well, and that there is help definitely there. So if you see a lactation consultant, they can, you know, you can chat about how to maintain your supply, but also get an extra hour or two of sleep. And if you want to introduce a bottle, when's the best time? And things like that. There's there's so much great advice out there. Um, and I promise that you're not the first person to have gone through something like this if you're thinking
0: that. And your Google history is a thing. And <laughs> Google is good and it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: very much (laughs) and I think you you love the hucker pumps too don't you I always I I always they're not but maybe (laughs) but um no I I, I've seen on your page that you love them too and I think if you are conscious that you are gonna you know you know especially if you're having issues with Mm. oversupply or whatever you know just catching the letdown during the day if you have a a, a, like a lot of milk, that will be more than enough to get you through one bottle overnight. So, I mean, that yeah, was in, that was my personal experience anyway. Yeah, no, no, no,
2: oh. a, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a hu- huge fan of Haka. I work with them as well. I absolutely love Haka. Um, mm. but like you said, exactly. Like this, this thought. I mean, before Haka was created, there was no catching letdown. It was uh, women. It would go into a nursing pad. So, you know, catching that letdown. If you're not doing any extra work, it's you just suction it on, and that's a whole extra fee. That's amazing. Yeah, so so, so incredible.
0: So we had a question come in, which I have been laughing at, and it is... Because you
1: relate to it, not because you're laughing at the person. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, because I can definitely relate to it, and it is postpartum anger. It was, I feel very angry towards my partner and resent him some days when pregnant. <laughs> no, no, postpartum. Ah, yeah. oh, postpartum. I thought it was when and she was pregnancy. Parents. I'm sure. Yeah, let's be serious. <laughs> it's all the time and pretty much five years down the track and before you have yeah. kids. We go on, <laughs> tell us. Tell us it's normal.
2: Um, I think that it can be normal. I think a lot of mamas feel the same way, and I think it also comes back to a lot of the time partners perhaps not being as useful as they could be, but uh, giving you know. I think I'm personally a huge fan of seeing psychologists. I think that mm. talking about issues and counselling sessions, I think they're so important. And I think that every couple in pregnancy should go and do a few sessions and just work through any issues or work through expectations and things like that. But I can imagine, like, the, you know, the the frustration, you're both exhausted and when two people are tired, you're both going to be so snappy at each other. You yeah. feel, you probably feel like you're doing more if you're breastfeeding, especially. So I do think it can be normal frustration or anger at your partner. Um, but obviously if it escalates it, into something else. It's definitely need to be mindful
0: of it and I do think that when you're having a tit-for-tat argument because you are sleep deprived and you both I've done this I've done that I think all that you both really need at that time or definitely my husband and I is empathy
1: towards each other and communication yeah yeah. like you can't do it tit-for-tat because then you it's so easy to forget what the other person is doing Mm -hmm. so you know you go oh you're so fucking lucky you get to walk out the door in the morning and go to work but like to them they might be like oh my gosh I just wish I could stay at home and spend the day with you guys you know what I mean like it's so yeah. easy to go oh the grass is greener yeah with whatever your partner's exactly 100%. exactly
2: 100 percent yeah, totally. And I think going kind of on that point is also, you know, maintaining your relationship at the same time whilst mm. having a baby, because you two are, you know, you're still a couple. And of course, you know, your baby has brought you so much joy and happiness, but having that alone time together is really important. And I know a lot of women talk about, you know, once a month, it's not like no, no arguments about it. There's a date night and you spend, you know, four mm. or five hours of quality time together and you have that time to reconnect because especially with a toddler as well, you know, you might be in the same room, you might be together, but there's no, nothing going on between you two. It's all about that baby, or all about that toddler, which can, you know, empty your cup. And or, um, or then you have, you have know, the second. Empty those love tanks.
1: Yeah. Or then you have the second, <laughs> and it's let's divide and conquer. So then you don't even, yeah, you know, like you're yeah. parenting parallel, even you're not even well, necessarily in the same. Totally. room. Totally.
0: And even my husband thinks. You know, he's like he said to me the other day. He's like, I just, you know, sometimes I struggle because, like, I just. I love being spontaneous. I'm like, mate, you are a husband and a dad of three. You aren't going to be spontaneous ever again until you go camping on your own, and he is doing that this weekend. But anyway, that's a different story.
1: (laughs) But I, I think that's what's actually I've found the hardest about this year with 2020 being away from my family. I have really felt like Nick and I have have found it really difficult to find one-on-one time just the two of us yeah. because you know I'm more than happy to leave the girls with my parents for however long but it can be hard to find those other people that you trust your kids with and I think that's the first thing that that goes when when these things happen yep.
0: yeah yeah
2: oh my gosh absolutely
1: just the last couple of questions on PTSD. What are some risk factors for PTSD after birth?
2: So PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder, whether or not a lot, again, this is something that goes, I think, hugely undiagnosed. It was a huge, there's a huge number of women, I think it's, Oh, I've written it down somewhere, but a huge number of women that say that they felt some kind of trauma after the birth of their baby. I think it's almost 25% or 30% of wow. women have stated that they felt some kind of trauma. Um, and I think as health professionals, we often forget or not forget, but we it's kind of another day at work. You know, It's always so special and, and so amazing. But what happens in that room can stay with a woman forever, absolutely forever. And I think it's so important that Again, back to education, you know what could happen, what may happen, um, and then if something does happen that's kind of outside of your plan or what you were you were expecting I think that tends to be one of the biggest triggers for traumatic uh, feeling traumatized after your birth if you'd you know if you'd gone in with your laminated piece of paper and you were having a vaginal birth with the with no lights on in the water and you had an emergency cesarean and you lost blood and you couldn't breastfeed that's going to hugely throw out your perception of things and your expectations are already flipped on their head and I think that's a huge trigger for feeling traumatized after a birth women who have had a history of sexual abuse often find birth can be quite triggering Mm -hmm. Um, and again it's something that i think probably goes underreported i always spend time with women and and really talk to them about if there is something in their past that may make them feel triggered because i'm sure as you both know women who have had babies is generally it's quite invasive or it can be quite invasive Mm -hmm. um, especially from health professionals who perhaps aren't very as empathetic as they could and should be or if an emergency happens and there's no time for, you know, the niceties of things and I think yeah knowing that a woman who has been sexually abused um perhaps as a child or as a teenager it's something that I'm so mindful of because I've come across it so many times from women who have felt traumatized post-birth because you know it's that it's similar feelings of feelings feeling out of out of control a lot of the time and perhaps not having control of your own body and there's you know there's so many people in the room perhaps looking at you it's it's, it can be really invasive so I think as a midwife I try and mitigate a lot of those things so you know um, informed consent is probably Probably the biggest thing and probably the biggest way to overcome PTSD is always, always, always talking to a woman and her partner about what is happening, why it's happening, what are the alternative outcomes or what are the alternative choices that we can make? Who do you, who else do you need to speak to to find out the information so that you can make an informed decision? Because... A lot of the time, it's women saying, "I felt out of control; like I didn't have any control of the situation, and it, it just happened to me. I wasn't a part of the process." And I think that's mm. so traumatizing. Yeah, there's such a, number, a huge number of things that could cause birth trauma, but yeah, just knowing that there is it is quite common, um, which is very very sad. But knowing that, of course, there is help. I think some things that you can do postnatally, um, if you have exp- if you feel like you have experienced PTSD or birth trauma, is definitely if you can, going and back and seeing the midwife or seeing the obstetrician and sitting down and, and and fully understanding that process, that your brain has a linear kind of, you know, you can go through it in a linear order. Okay, this happened because of this. You know, okay, they didn't just do this suddenly because they wanted to. You know, there's a, it's a linear process. And I think for some women that can help. And um, seeing a psychologist is, is also really important to talk through it and about why you felt out of control or why what happened to you happened to you. And I think, yeah, I think that's... It's just so many different reasons. So I don't think mm. I can go, Definitely can't go into them all, but I hope that covers some. Yeah, and I think definitely. as you
1: said, as society, we need to stop going. Oh, but the most important thing at the end of the day is Oof. that there's a healthy baby. Because yeah, that doesn't that doesn't help at all. And I did no. have someone the other day. I was doing q and A Q&A thing on my Instagram, and someone said, "Oh, first time tips for." A pregnant woman about to have her first baby and I had said oh you know if people come up to you wanting to vent their shocking birth just ask them to like not tell you now it doesn't like uh, um, serve you well Mm. right now and I actually did have someone message me who had been through a traumatic birth herself and she said while I respect that and I understand where you're coming from she said I actually think that if some of some people had told me before ways that I could have responded when things had gone wrong because she was she did have that feeling that birth kind of happened to her mm. she said I feel like maybe if I'd heard some of those stories maybe not the gory details but I would have had more confidence in myself to just ask people to slow down explain things to me be a bit more yeah. conformed and give consent to things so yeah so yeah I found that a different yeah. perspective from someone who had been through quite a traumatic birth
2: yeah, no, absolutely, and and I guess that also comes back to education, which is, I mean, legally we, informed consent is everything, you cannot perform anything on anyone without um, informed consent which means that they know all of the risks they know the alternatives they know they know and they have completely understood and they accept what is about to happen so unless you feel like you know that's the case then you have the right to ask any questions you have the right to refuse anything absolutely anything for you you know for you and your baby obviously there are circumstances in which you know an emergency cesarean like a category one emergency cesarean needs to happen within minutes um either the mum or the baby's life is at risk and at that time it's very very hard to talk through everything properly, but that's where antenatal education comes into the piece mm. where you say, you know, you, you know, if this decision is made, it's it's to save your life or it's mm. to save your baby's life. And knowing that from the get-go and not just thinking, you know, I haven't been told about what's happening, but rather knowing, okay, you know, that I'm gonna have to process this very quickly and I'll have time to process this afterwards. But yeah, just, just knowing that right I've had so many women who have had category one emergency cesareans and you know have just felt exactly that like they you know they were laboring one minute the second minute you know their baby's heart rate was very very low and it was very very it was an emergency and they just feel exactly that they were taken from a room but last thing they remember was laboring on the bed and now they're in surgery and they've got a baby on their chest and that non-linear process I think really blurs things mm-hmm. in the mind and can definitely definitely trigger PTSD after birth
1: mm. Wow thank you so much for all this information the work that you do is so important yeah it's obviously an area that we're both super passionate about but thank you so so much you've been an absolute bundle of knowledge you
0: really have and we appreciate everything you do and you can come back from Hong Kong anytime you like but you might have to go into quarantine but you might have to go into quarantine <laughs> <laughs> definitely,
2: definitely have to go into quarantine um, no, thank you so much guys I absolutely love what you do as well and I've been following you for such a long time and I think this is you know the more women that can listen to these podcasts the better the better informed we are you know the, the, the better we cope I think postnatal
1: Really. So, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. thank you.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't,
1: good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.